Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another episode. I'm Aaron Osborne, your host. This episode, my guest is my dear friend, Adrian Kelly. Kelly chose a Fallout Boy record from under the cork tree for me to listen to, which, much to his dismay, was fine. And we had a good time talking about it, which is exactly the point of doing this. Um, Kelly used to be in my band, I Exist, and um, plays in a band called Beowulf from Sydney, who have a record out on Resist Records, so check out Beowulf, go look them up. They're sick. Um, and yeah, enjoy us chatting about Fallout Boy for the next little while. <laughs> um, in the show notes uh, for this episode and the last couple episodes, I've been putting uh, links to uh, resources to donate to um, First Nations causes that uh, really need support. Um, and uh, it'd be great if you have the means to donate to those to do so. Um, yeah, there's more information there. Uh, if you want to check that out, please do. Please let me know if there's anything else that I can be doing and I can be contributing towards that. I would really appreciate that support as well. Um, go back and listen to the old episodes. Got some cool ones coming up as well. Um, otherwise enough of me rambling for now, please listen to and enjoy episode 93 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Adrian Kelly from Beowulf. Fucking brutal. Adrian, thank you for doing my podcast and making me listen to a Fallout Boy record. Hey, no problem. And I should point out from the start that the entire reason I picked this album and not like Songs for the Deaf by Queens of the Stone Age or a Fear Factory record was to force you to listen to a Fallout Boy record. <laughs> that's a good, I think that's a good reason to do it though. You're putting me out of my comfort zone. So I can highlight the first question of why did you choose this record and it was to spite me? <laughs> yes, that is that is it. That is that is it. Okay. Um all right. So <clears throat> well, I I I'll start off with like I've obviously heard this record before. It's not the first time I've heard Fallout Boy. Um but I didn't realize I guess the thing that I don't know because I don't actively pay attention to the band is like, I guess all their, I just, you know, kind of assumed all their big hits were all on one record. Like, I didn't really recognize that the hits spread relatively over about three records or whatever. Oh, mate, there are hits everywhere. Well, you know. And two, two eras of hits as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess... Well, okay, so the record's from Under the Cork Tree. I didn't say that at the top. But um, I suppose for me, well, I obviously know the the bigger songs on the next record. So clearly this is pre-Psycho Fallout Boy fame. But this is kind of what got it rolling as far as I can read and understand, right? Uh, no, so the one, there's a record before this called Take This to Your Grave, mm -hmm. which... The Purists will tell you is the best Fallout Boy record. It's the most like pop punk, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, and so that one was on Fueled by Ramen and, you know, didn't have a huge radio hit or anything like that and uh, is what propelled them to the position to do this record. 
so I guess a cool thing about this band is that um, as opposed to bands that like have one hit record or like one record that, you know, really gets the momentum going and then the two main guys have a fight or yeah. someone leaves or they decide to turn into a fucking butt rock band or whatever it is, they built each stage when they needed to build. And so Cork Tree is the second step. Like it really catapulted it into mainstream kind of commercial success and they built on that on the next record. Yeah. Well, I mean, this this record for for sure still has like so many, you know, signifiers and tropes of where they came from. Like, I mean, it still has like screaming in some songs, and it still has like pit, like you know, as pit riff as pop punk can get type pit riff parts in it, and things like that. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, they hadn't gone full. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Triple M? No, just gone totally like off the deep end with trying whatever they wanted, which I think they do on the next record where, you know, yeah. the next record is Jay-Z doing an intro over a breakdown, then Babyface produces the track after it. Yeah. Like, it's just bananas. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I guess, you know, it's no, it's no secret to, I suppose, anyone who listens to hardcore that listens to this, which I presume is everyone. But, um, I mean, I, th- I feel like it, you could ju- just listening to this, like, recording and the record, you can still hear that they're still, you know, I guess working through that mindset of previously being in punk and hardcore and metalcore bands and stuff. Like, a lot of, like, and even, even, like, in the music, there's still, like, a bizarre in some parts of songs to me like a bit like a bit of a bizarre use of like things are actually in minor keys and stuff they're not it's not all you know obviously like the next record has big 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 hits that are just pop songs whereas this still has songs that have like i mean you know negative parts and i suppose like some remnants of like discordant things to the to the major scale i suppose um so is that I, I mean, I don't know musical theory. I guess that's a song like Dance Dance, maybe. There's like that kind of yeah, well, binary sound going on. Yeah, and I think... And there, I mean, there's just there's just other songs as well that have like... Um, I mean, they, ju- they just kind of have... They have like the... the You know, the drumming is still reminiscent of a dude who was playing hardcore. Like it's not, it's not all dance beats or whatever, which is where they sort of end up, you know? And they're still doing like two-step kind of parts in songs and stuff funny funny thing about i mean i think people are aware of you know the drummer andy being in like race trader and he's in that band sect now with dudes from earth crisis and cursed and that kind of stuff um being a giant modern band with a probably 90 minute set they have filler parts in the set yeah and one of them is a drum solo and so last time I saw them, which would have been, I don't know, two or three years ago, his drum solo is actually Hammer Smash Face by Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> and it's like the whole band go off and it's just him with, you know, strobes and everything going off. So that's bananas. But I mean, I wasn't too shocked because about 
10 years beforehand when they were already in arena band, his drum solo then was the breakdown of Future Breed Machine by Meshuggah. <laughs> well, so, it's, you know, it's good that he's still throwing that subtly in. Like there are kids, kids that front like, oh, I've heard this two songs on MTV and I love them. And he's going like polyrhythm stuff. It's, it's awesome. I, um, I was talking, I was talking about it last night actually, but I, when I was playing in a jet, this jazz, this like school jazz band in year 11 and 12, when I had, like you say school gent band, sorry, yeah, my school jet band. No, I had this school jazz band and I had like hair down to my ass and whatever. We played, we, our school band played at the Maruya Jazz Festival and I had a solo, I was playing drums and I had a solo section in some song, maybe it was like a Miles Davis song or something. And every time I would play it, I would do Hammer Smash Face, but with like on the hi-hats. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, just like hi-hat chokes to do that. And no one would know. And I, it was like the little dollop of metal I got to add into my jazz band set. So me and so Andy from Fallout Boy, Kindred Spirits. <laughs> awesome um did i mean did you know that this band the dudes met one of them overheard two of the others in a record store arguing about neurosis i didn't know that i mean silly but it's awesome the the thing that i know about this which is like i mean they can come and defend themselves if they want but um that pete wentz's band before this band um, the guitar player of that band used to be in harm's way. I did, yeah. So they're a one handshake band from people I'm very good friends with, which is which is funny. Um, Do you know that Dave Cronin is two stepping in the video for a song from the previous album in a Pain of Strength shirt. I didn't know that, so now I'm now I'm one <laughs> handshake away from them. So. <laughs> It just goes on and on. It's I'm, great. I'm even closer. But no, and I mean, I think, I, I mean, I remember, I guess if I'm thinking back to when I, like, I mean, this this band to me is like so significant in a weird subculture that I'm sure exists elsewhere, but is so specific to my and yours as well, I suppose, like, introduction into like meeting 90% of my friends I suppose by way of this band being like huge in Australian alternative nightclubs <laughs> like, oh yes of course which yeah, they... much to like my dismay as a as a human being is where I ended up spending a lot of time <laughs> at one time or another in my you know when I first started playing in bands that started regularly touring you know that you're not wrong though. It was a solid part of the soundtrack, and uh, yeah, between between all the albums, but I guess with the kind of focus on this one, um, yeah, the songs from it, yeah, getting pumped out at one a.m. when you've got a vodka, coke, and raspberry in hand. Well, I did the note I made. I wrote is this band is very significant in the vodka cranberry juice consumption. <laughs> so 
for me when <laughs> I bang for, on. For me when I hear Fallout Boy, that's what I think of. Um, when you hear Fallout Boy, you grab your liver because you have that pang of is it early onset diabetes from drinking too many two dollar mixer drinks. <laughs> but like, I guess this. So I, I suppose was. I guess you know more that you know more about it, but from from this record, is this record the jump that sort of ends up propelling this kind of new version of pop punk? Well, I think um, so. This record's two thousand five, so it just turned fifteen. Yeah. Um, the whole, uh, I mean, you know, people are calling it. Emo or Screamo are post-hardcore people getting angry about the genre terms. But, you know, those other bands like Taking Back Sunday, Yellow Card, New Found Glory in the early noughties, mm. and they kind of snuck up in that wave. Um, and I'm pretty sure that... So that record, Take This To Your Grave, was a big success, but one of those really word of mouth, no no radio, no TV, no... Uh, no industry kind of involvement. So this record, they get upstream to the major label from Fuel by Ramen, and then it has two monster hits. And so I was reading before, the record came out, it was the people who were already big fans who bought it initially. So it debuted at number nine. It took three months to sell half a million records, but then by that stage, the video for that Sugar We're Going Down song had hit MTV, and their rabid fan base of requesting it and so it only took a month to sell another half a million records Fuck which yeah it's never the way that the curve is you know builds up you always drop yeah so uh, it went it went that way and so yeah with those you know those days of the trl show on mtv where people can vote for their favorite bands and yeah the australian equivalent was you know corn getting smashed on channel v in the afternoons what had once been a you know, 5,000 tickets in Sydney with no real support turns into that video everyone's seen at the big day out of corn playing in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. To, you know, 40,000 people, <clears throat> pardon me. This album is, obvi- I mean, 2005, I guess you think as well, that whole era of music is like very soon, or that era of accessibility like that is very soon coming to an end almost for like, well, not not for an end because it was no good, but for an end because the internet just fucking took over. <laughs> like, like things like having a having music videos do the heavy lifting of your record. You know, like yeah, absolutely, that's a real thing of the past. And you know, you still hear of bands these days who, or I mean, I did in my previous line of work of bands putting all this money into doing these music videos, and it's like, what are you getting out of this bar? you know, 2,000 views on YouTube. That's not yeah. return. I'm doing hand gestures of confusion. <laughs> What's the return? Well, yeah, I mean, because I think, I guess, like, well, I think this this is probably, like you just mentioned, though, like that, um, that, that similar thing of it, it being like a slower, you know, like a slower burning thing where it waited till the videos got popular before the record sort of kicked off. I mean, that that's so tied in with so many other bands of this, of that time frame as well, particularly in like alternative music, how, well, yeah, I mean, like Korn's a, a great example of a, a band whose music videos were all like 
pretty stupid fucking poor produced shit and then they had a record come out and the dude who directs a charlie's angels movie makes a corn music video you know (laughs) oh wow i didn't know he did it that's unreal yeah so like the but that's that i think around that time that was where there was a turn where it was like yeah you know like film directors got to the point where music videos were like a viable thing for them to be making and bands seemingly could get enough money in a budget to make a music video that costs that much you know well the there's a third single on this record like it's one of the more filler tracks on the record um Mm -hmm. called the a little less 16 candles and the music video is like goes for 10 minutes and it is basically a condensed version of Lost Boys. Right. <laughs> and it's so obviously like they've done well with the first two and then someone's like, here's, here's a suitcase full of money. We need another video. And, yeah, it's it's truly bonkers. And I can't imagine, you know, again, uh, MTV or whoever were going to play these things. Like, can you imagine walking in and being like, yeah, don't worry about the song. It's, you know, it's three minutes, but the new video goes for over 10 minutes. Just play the whole thing. It's cool. <laughs> like, it, that's totally crazy. Yeah. Well, that was another uh, another one of my note, uh, notes was a, a classic vibe of this era in this sort of style music is having, like, incredibly needlessly long song titles. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And, like, and obviously... Pete Wentz and other people of his peer group believing really that they were composing poetry to be accompanying their pop punk. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not actually sure who like who's responsible for that. I mean there's that hardcore band Drowning Man who had some really ridiculous lengthy song titles, but I think that's early noughties. I feel uh, like it I was responsible. Yeah. Someone's responsible. Well, I mean, I know that it even carried over into like a band I was in, Four Dead, had song titles like this because they were coming out of, you know, also liking, you know, that fringe emo stuff a lot, you know? Yeah, like Norma Jean. Yeah. Or something like that. Um So I mean, what what about all those Nile song titles that are just basically uh chapter titles from the mummy screenplay yeah well niall are very openly admittedly in their own ass i feel like at this point so (laughs) they weren't i think i think that's that's part of that's part of what they're trying to do that's fair that's good um uh yeah with with this band though um i I don't want to give them too much credit because it might sound weird but there's almost something subversive about roots in hardcore and this much nastier music just really going for doing this pop thing but kind of uh threading their their roots through it yeah well i mean i don't i mean that that sounds weird that i would hear a song and be like oh this this really resonates with me i want to find out more because of this subversiveness but i think it's just part of the the allure of the band like the singer writes all the music yeah. The bass player the bass player is the face of the band and writes the words. Mm. Together they make a pretty unstoppable combo. Um the bass player is a bit of a marketing genius and you know, doing all this like one of the first guys maybe to like leak nudes or something, but kind of used it as a promo tool. Yeah. Uh, 
all that kind of stuff is uh, intriguing, really. Well, I mean, yeah, and it's just interesting how, like, I mean, they got, well, I mean, the rest of them didn't, but he got swept up into, you know, tabloid fame like a someone from a boy band would have five years earlier, you know? Like yeah, which is probably bananas. Yeah, like it's it's insane. And then I mean, I think the other thing too is like, isn't Kim Kardashian in the Thanks for the Memories music video? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah like pre, she's his girlfriend in it in the video. Pre extreme fame. Yeah, yeah. Like so, just thinking about that in this like the landscape of like where the world is now, and also that one of them is still playing relatively regularly in a hardcore band with people from Earth Crisis. Like, and, you know, like, Kim Kardashian's been in his band's music videos. Pretty, like, it's a pretty long stretch for that to be occurring today, you know? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, but even, so, like, after they went on hiatus, well, sorry, returning from hiatus, the music is definitely, uh, I mean, the people who liked this record and earlier not really on board anymore but it doesn't yeah. matter because now they're all the fans are a, a new generation they do songs for disney movies and like it's real um what's the term it's like nfl sports center highlights kind of music yeah and so their biggest hits now by far way bigger than this era and it's they do whatever they want like weird weird hip-hop kind of mixed with live drums and a bit of noodly guitar but who knows and people are into it yeah like they did a they did a they did a hardcore record in a day with um, Br- Brian Adams, Ryan Adams, the singer, the the folky singer who got cancelled, yeah, like, pre cancellation. They went into his studio, did a yeah, an album in a day of stuff that sounds like Minor Threat, yeah, and they did that as like something else to do when they just put out a record that had Two Chains and Grimes guest appearances. Yeah, right. It's who even knows what's going on, you know. But that, I mean, that the singer's like a straight up, like savant, right? Like, I mean, isn't oh, there isn't amazing. there videos of him just like playing every instrument in recording and stuff as well? Uh, probably. I think he he this tried to join the band as the drummer and they wouldn't let him, or is a drummer originally something like that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like even. And obviously, I could have Wikipedia this, but I even feel like maybe he was in one of their hardcore bands as a drummer as well. <laughs> like, oh, probably, yeah. And, but I mean, it, it's yeah. I mean, it's just interesting. I think this really this band for me is like so. I feel like it's just so significant to that like two thousand and three to two thousand and what eight or nine music. Like, yep. Like it really, really popped off, or at least to to my perception, like made pop punk a thing again after the wave of Blink, whatever, how many years before it. And I'm sure, like, I'm sure at that time Blink 182 was still a band, but by then they were kind of like, you know, whatever your fucking uncle listens to them, you know? <laughs> like, I think, I think Blink had kind of gone away by that stage yeah. because they'd gone. They did that self-titled record in, I don't know, early noughties-ish. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, Fall Out Boy leave Blink-182 for dead, in my estimation, which I know is sacrilege to a lot of people. But, like, listen to this record. It's so much better than any of 
it's the the mixing of like two pretty gifted people and it's awesome like all those super groups that, sorry not super groups when people try and leave a band and go solo and it sucks mm. because the reason the band is special is what everyone contributes yeah. and so like Pete Wentz tried to do a thing called Black Cards. It was awful. Who even knows what, what it sounded like? Um, Patrick Stump tried to do a solo. Well, not tried. He did a solo record, but it absolutely didn't go anywhere because it didn't have the dick pic taking yeah. quote, quote machine kind of heading up that kind of thing. Yeah. But together, they're unreal. It's like Voltron. Mm. Well, I mean, I think, I think the other thing too is that clearly is something to say when... Yeah, when that's like, you know, when, when it is, when it is together like that, and it's a unit like that. Like, obviously, he's got he's got hooks for days to write, but unless he's got the 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 dance dance to drop on top of it, what's the hook? You know, like, yeah, who cares about it unless it's got that with it? You know, um, but like, I think so. I mean, when um, like, when did you when did you get into this? Like, was it when it came I, out, I know because I had to had to think about it. Um, I was driving to Splendor in the Grass in Byron Bay, um, driving from Sydney with my friend Yannick, and he uh, is from Coogee, so like in a bit of a not a bra boys surf gang. That makes it sound way tougher than it was, but like <laughs> local local like surf crew. And I think those dudes used to pass around records as people want to do Mm -hmm. and we were driving up to splendor and i had the discman velcroed onto the uh the dash of the magna and had you know like you have a tape that has a cord on it to stick into the player. um and he was like i just got this off mate uh it's fucking sick we should listen to it and yeah like a burned copy so this would have been july 2005 Mm mm-hmm um and yeah we put it on and i remember going like what the fuck is this this is awesome and i didn't didn't really listen to bands like that poppy yeah um i don't think like regularly Um, were you already at this stage like into like the other like skate punk pop punk type stuff though already i think i would probably yeah no like 2005 yeah i'm definitely listening to you like nose for a name and yeah. Um, I'd like, you know, listened to Strung Out for a week and moved on because it sucks. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Pennywise was a, a long-term staple, but, like, they don't sound like that. So, no. Um, yeah, I get, yeah, I would have already been listening to Brand New and uh, Poison the World. They don't sound like that, though, do they? Like, it's that <laughs> poppier end of it, but kind of affiliated by, I don't know, aesthetic or something. Yeah. But I mean, I guess was that and was that a uh, an environment you were finding yourself in already? Like, I, I guess because I, I mean, obviously, I came into that later. But like, w- was this as popular here when it in that time frame, or did it like a lot of other things in Australia take two more years to catch on here? No, I think it was pretty popular here. Yeah, in line with America. Um, like I wasn't wasn't watching channel V at this that time like i was probably at work or something but you know i think the band were doing similar you know similar to what was happening on trl in america it was like when um like afi when they first ca- finally came to australia in 2003 they played outside of channel v in sydney and it was massive and like you know they had 
two or three singles off of the Sing the Sorrow record, but according to the media, but, you know, four or five dark misfits horror punk records and close your eyes, shut your mouth, open your, whatever it is, um, all those records. And so, like, the people had been waiting for them to come for ages. I think uh, probably a similar kind of thing for Fallout Boy. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, it's it just, I mean, because I'm sure... Maybe Below Par put out the first record on a license here, right. I think. Like the Kiss Chasey label. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, I mean, I certainly knew people liked them a lot. Like, I mean, my running... I mean, my running memory or gag of it really was that, you know, my my friend Pete, who used to be in our band Slow Burn and does stuff for Mental Cavity, he had a big fringe and, to my knowledge, at least from what it looked like, played bass exactly like Pete Wentz did. <laughs> and so my tease of him when he was like, I don't know, a couple of years above me in school was that like, I was brutal and he was Pete Wentz, you know, <laughs> like, but uh, yeah, it. And, hair, Pete. yeah. And you know, he had like the arm band tats and things like that. So very on, on brand for this, um, this like time frame. but I mean, it, it, there's just, it like, I, I guess, I don't know. It's like very funny to me. Cause I mean, this, this music and this record. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, I think, I mean, I've spoken about a couple records that, so far that have been like this but it's like so significant of a very specific time frame like 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 i mean i you know now i'm sure again like you mentioned like other people would see fallout boy as like a certain a certain thing but to me like if if you just say fallout boy that's what i think of like i think of the fucking destroyer lines nightclubs and i think of you know people diabetes yeah diabetes but people wearing like for some reason why are you still wearing checkered vans like and yeah you know are you are you able to divorce all of that in your mind to listen to the record and go this is a good song this is a bad song are you just like no no absolutely no i don't i don't like i have no i don't listen to this record and bit and think like oh fuck i gotta turn this thing off (laughs) like it's i mean to me to me it's just to me it just sounds like pop music really I mean, mm-hmm. but I can, I think because I have, because I've had such an experience in my, like, I suppose, social circles with, with it that I just associate it with things that are not really related to it, obviously. Like, they didn't write this record with the intention for people to, you know, get really drunk off very poor alcohol at a, you know, a pub that turns into a nightclub for outcasts on the weekend you know like yeah that'd be that'd be a real low bar of a goal wouldn't it (laughs) like they were trying to write good songs and you can hear that in the songs Uh, yeah which um a thing i read before was uh the so they've been upstream to i'm gonna forget the label island island mm -hmm. records and the label like you have to have a producer and they were trying to get Neil Avron to do it, who had done maybe some Newfound Glory records, Yellow Card, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he was hesitant and wanted to hear that they had good songs. And the first batch of songs they sent through, he was like, nah, I'm not into it. And uh, it took the band demoing more, I think. Um, and, you know, the A&R guy sent through a CD that had 
Dance Dance and Sugar We're Going Down on it. And he was like, these are the songs. What do you reckon? And the dude was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do it. And now, you know, seven million records later or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think the other thing too is like with stuff like, I mean, I, I think between this record and the next record, you can really hear the difference in, I guess, the approach they're taking to songwriting as well. Because, I mean, th- those two songs are like, I mean, they're pop songs. If, you know, they are played through the lens of like a band that came from punk and hardcore, I suppose, but they're pop songs. Um, mm. But you can hear that, I sp- you know, I suppose between this record and the next record, that's where there's like of clearly an an active decision at some level, whether it's a creative decision or a financial decision or a marketing decision or whatever it is that, you know, oh, okay, well, this is obviously the successful part of what we're doing. And clearly this is the part that's getting the best response. And, you know, pro- I'm sure for them too, like anything else. And I mean, I think this is, it's, it's often like a, I think an argument point, but, you know, people are like, oh, they went, they went pop and or the or whatever you know they they sold out but like i mean if anything that'd be harder wouldn't it absolutely i'm sh- that's that's what i was about to say like no one i don't think anyone goes into like selling out like goes into it with like we are going to try to sell out i'm sure every person that's ever tried to do that has blown it, it up yeah like i think when the iron strikes is when that works and then i mean the other thing too is like the only people who ever have beef about people selling out and things like that are people that have not managed to do it themselves. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's never the people who have done it that are going and giving it a criticism. Like Well, like this this record still sounds like a band that um played Saves the Day covers, which I'm not sure if you've ever listened to Saves the Day, but it sounds yeah. exactly like what you think it does. Yeah. Um whereas yeah, the next one's just untethered. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, so I like to, to get a, like a scope of it, I, I listened to like a couple of the songs from the record before it. And then obviously I know quite a lot of the songs from the, the record following this, but like, it is very interesting to see how that, you, I mean, you can see where it grows, you can see it grows from the big singles, but it's just very interesting that um, this band got to a point where they were, I mean, at this point, they're effectively still relatively rooted within that scene and amongst those peers that you mentioned already um oh yeah the the ep that comes out just before this record i just remembered jacob bannon did the art for which is yeah so funny (laughs) there you go but like it it um and then yeah like i mean obviously you know they like most human beings you don't abandon you can't get away from that stuff like obviously again, like some of them are still playing in bands with other people from the more alternative world. But, but I mean, like, I think this is records like this are really interesting to look at in the lens of where the band goes and where it came from, I suppose is what I'm trying to say in that. Yeah. Like you can really see where, like where the left turn was that then kicks it off, you know? Um, And I mean, cause I think the other thing too, particularly with, I suppose coming from, you know, playing in, you know, the alternative music world, it's very interesting when a band takes that turn and then becomes like, becomes more like a pop band. Like I know, I know when I talked about the Green Day record with 
Stu from Comeback Kid, like that that was like the the record that came out after one that was already kind of popular and they went in a different direction and sort of like tried to make a record, at least from the 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 discussion we had on it and and the stuff that I read that they tried to make a record that was kind of like, ah, we, we don't want to be that pop, whatever, you know, we, we got to go the other way. And then, and then, but then eventually they ended up there anyway, (laughs) you know, it was like, but instead this band seemed to be the complete opposite of that where just, it was just all ending up growing towards that same direction. So I don't know whether that's through direction of having, better or more concise like management or professionals working around you or if it was conscious of the band but it seems to be a far more natural progression in that path you know i feel like it's uh probably them having a vision and just shooting for it yeah the um the record the record before they go on hiatus which is called folly adieu which is probably Either that or the most recent one are probably like the least well regarded in the catalogue. Yeah. But it's definitely a super mature kind of obviously very melodic. It's not as uh, like red cordial hyper as the the one before. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess it was just everything happening, you know, Grammy nominations and paparazzi and all that kind of stuff was enough for them to have to take a time out and then when they do come back together years later it is purely to satisfy their own creative urges so that's why they did the save rock and roll record which is yeah like bigger hits than anything before and then it gets progressively weirder from there like they had uh what's his name's like a reggae artist um burner boy or something like that like big hit last year with um georgia smith but they had him on a record four or five years ago like, yeah right. How are you that ahead of the curve doing stuff that definitely not warp to a pop punk? Um, yeah, like they had two chains on a record nine years ago. Yeah, that's wild. And to think that like, well, I mean, obviously he's who he is now, but that's in in the scope of this band as well. That's like pretty wild to think that that's that was something that occurred that long ago. Yeah, like real. I don't even know what it is. Just, yeah, shooting for the vision. And then, yeah, it's ended up as NFL highlight music, so it all works out. You know, they're set for life off those NFL highlights. Um, uh, I think the the uh, urban legend is that after the singer did the vocals for Sugar, We're Going Down, he turns around and goes, none of you, you don't have to pay for your kids to go to college or whatever it was, like, <laughs> your kids are set. That's the, that's the rumor. And you listen to the song, you're like, it's probably probably right to be honest <laughs> probably fair um like so is this if you were to put on a full out boy record is this the record you put on uh yes and do you find yourself like <clears throat> i mean in, in what what are this if you're gonna listen to music like this what are, what are its active like peers now that you would still like um probably nothing like i don't think they ever really had applicable peers that were any good like if you look at wikipedia and it says like bands that they toured with around then or you know related artists on spotify it's all like nah who cares (laughs) um i mean 
and again to like the the marketing savviness of um Pete Wentz, uh three or four months after this record came out, the first Panic at the Disco record came out mm-hmm. and he had signed them to his own imprint through Fuel by Ramen and that record was just as big as this record. So like yeah. you know, like making the culture yourself is pretty pretty outrageous. Yeah. But yeah, I mean for me I I wouldn't wouldn't really listen to any of the other bands around this. Like if this record ends and then it just starts another Fallout Boy record, that's fine by me. I don't need to go putting on the main or all time low or something. So what is it about this then comparatively to those that makes this stand out? I really don't know. There's something the first time hearing it, like really, you know, catches your ear for some reason. Yeah. And yeah, I have, I've listened to this record. Gee, it'd be, it'd be well over 500 times, like approaching a thousand times, like the whole thing in total type of thing, if Mm. not over. And I am, not sick of it <laughs> like i think there might be there's one song that i'm like mm, no nah, there's not a song on this record like they they only start getting the skippable songs like in a few albums time yeah right. like i can still just play this i even play the extend the special edition with the two b-sides <laughs> like it's that good well i mean i think something that the other thing that really i guess i'd never Probably never heard because I probably never listened to the record the whole way through. I just listened to the singles and or whatever I'd heard in, you know, Dow Clubs, I guess, um, is just a song having a real big, like, emotional... Oh, the meltdown? Sp- the emotional speech at the end. <laughs> like, yeah, sorry, I take it back. That's probably the one part where I'm like, okay, we can just skip right past that. I just, um, I just wrote 2005 MySpace when I... yeah. When I heard that. Yeah, that part that part's probably the worst part on the record. Um But that but, uh, that was that was another thing that I made note of when I made that joke note for myself was this is another this is another band or another era of music that was like lent itself so well to not only like music videos and stuff like that at the time, but but the technology of the time. Like it lent itself so well to you know, it was like, like you mentioned before, like he, Pete Wentz is sort of effectively like, I don't want to say it's like virally marketing himself, but he, he's like using him, he's almost using himself as a tool to market everything else around the band. Like mm. he becomes like a, yeah, like I mentioned before, like a tabloid superstar, but within that as well, he also had like clothing labels that made all the clothes that dress the way Fallout Boy dressed. So... Instead yep, of yep. going and buying it from a shop, they bought the they bought the full outfit from the band effectively instead of just the t shirt. Like just the t shirt, yeah. Uh, don't forget the signature Fender Squire precision yep. bass that had the giant um, graphic of the tattoo that he has on his pelvis. Um, yeah, I and- remember Boz from Fifty Lines got it at one stage and. I don't know if no one else picked up that it was a Fallout Boy bass, but I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, yeah. I was like, what are you going to do about that that bat skull thing? And he's like, I'll cover it up. And I was like, okay. And saw it from like six months later and it was definitely uncovered because it was like very sick or not sick. I don't know. It was pretty good. <laughs> I think that, I mean, that's another thing too, though. That's like the, um, 
and I don't know if this was his decision or, if, I mean, it may, may very well have been Fender's decision as well, but like doing it on the cheaper base so that your fans who are younger oh, yeah. can buy it, you know? Like, and I, I remember- who, I, who else's signature has like such an obnoxious yeah. visual thing on it? Like, I think- mm, I mean, Kerry King guitars or yeah. Jeff Hanneman have the little- you know, or they have the little um, Slayer logo inlay or the Soulfly ones that Max Cavalera did, but like... My favourite you know. my favorite of that Huge. was... I can't remember what the fucking new metal band is now. Um, one of those new metal bands that like... They were like a F grade. Like they probably opened a corn tour once. Wait, like, was it cold and they had yes. like a spider? Yes, fuck! <laughs> This is why we're very good friends because you just full, read my full mind. New metal losers. Okay, good. <laughs> yes, that cold guitar that had a spider on it. Um, I couldn't tell you a cold song to save my life. Neither. I. I mean, I couldn't have picked. I couldn't have even got that. I was so far away from getting that right. But I remember the guitar. But that because that that was the thing that was like that that when was like LTD guitars started giving every man and his fucking dog a signature guitar and it was just whatever the standard guitar was you just i guess you just got to pick the color and an inlay and then they called it a signature but that was a i mean that was a massive thing in that time but i mean again if you look you know i suppose from the different angle that this was on i'm sure all of that i mean you know maybe it wasn't but i feel like it's too well thought out to not be a decision to be like yeah, make it a relatively low cost instrument that people can buy. And I mean, because I guess the other thing too is like, I suppose like being pretty critical of this band, Pete Wentz from all things that I've seen and heard is not a very good bass player. Like he is... Oh no, not at all. He is like absolutely serving a... I mean, I'm sure it got to a point where he was not plugged in like very quickly, you know? I mean, the band were not good live, mm. um, like notoriously not good live. I don't know. Like the first time they came to Australia, um, uh, I went to the show with our friend Lucas yeah. and we were supposed to be going to Brisbane that night for like from Sydney for I think Rex Banner's first show in Queensland and we were like, we can't leave until after the Fallout Boy show and the other guys were like, Oh my god! But um, <laughs> you know, so they picked us up from the Horton like we were twelve-year-old kids. But anyway, uh, but yeah, they they weren't good live. Um, you know, like doing guitar swings and all that kind of shit. Yeah. Just two words. But then maybe within a tour or two of coming to Australia, they were then like immaculate. Yeah. Um, and you know, it doesn't matter. Like if Pete's bass is on track, so be it. He spends half the uh, half the show. Yeah, delivering that's... monologues to the crowd, whereas, like, the, the talent is all, you know, Patrick Stump playing guitar and singing. I think he sings, like, the whole time. Yeah, and he can think... actually, like, shred as well. Like, he, he's, oh, yeah. like, a ripping guitar player. Even I mean... Well, yeah, what, what's his signature guitar? A Gretsch whatever, Tunematic or whatever they're called, so... And he... he real also, taste. He also had, like, a bright blue SG for... A, I think as well, maybe was like a signature. Oh, uh, yep. 
Oh no, that's that's just I think that was or his, just own his guitar. guitar early on. But yeah, now he just uses these hectic Gretches, and I was like, as far as I was aware, no one ever got signature Gretches. Yeah, but yeah. Here we go. Um, I I mean I think that's another thing too that you got that's you got to consider with with music like this as well as it gets to a point where like, I mean the live I mean and it's like I I. I'm sure it's not unfair to say this, even of a band like Parkway Drive and things like that now, where like, there's only so much you can fucking do with playing these songs live. At some point, you have to start doing things that are like a visual representation of what you want to do with the music. You like, obviously, Parkway Drive, but even fucking Slipknot, who are still trying to be, in some respects, a, you know, a legitimate metal band they have a treadmill on the stage that the DJ dances on now. So use that sentence and also call them a legitimate metal band. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Still don't play to a click though, apparently. Well, I mean, you know, they got the dude from, um, you know, Conan O'Brien's band son keeping time, <laughs> you know, so yeah. he can do it. Yeah. Um, fine, I'm doing good stuff. But you know, I'm just thinking as well. Fallout Boy are probably the first band I ever saw that had a completely clean stage, which um, yeah, that'd be like 10 year, over ten years ago now, and that was unheard of. Yeah, well, I mean, I think yeah, it's really interesting that stuff too. Because I mean, I I don't really get, I, I understand why people why people get like annoyed by that stuff. But I mean, at, at a certain point as well, like when you're playing fucking stadiums you kind of, you know, you have a a duty to make it interesting for people to watch. And, like, yeah. like I mean, obviously, well, I mean, like, say, for example, like, Justin Timberlake, obviously, you and I are both big fans of. He, you know, for, for a lot of his career, was playing live with big bands. And the people in those bands were, like, the best session musicians on earth playing guitars and drums or whatever. Then and he realized like, Becky doesn't care about that. Hey. Then he realized little Becky doesn't care about well, that. Well, exactly. And then so, so you know, there's obviously time and place to do that in situations where it occurs. And then, you know, then there's things like him changing his whole aesthetic and i suppose branding for a record to the point where the band is set up on stage as if they're like a you know 50 swing band or something and that was how that was how he set it up and then the focus becomes okay so now he's dancing a lot more because he's just on the super bowl and i'm sure he's spent like a zillion dollars on choreography so he's got to make sure that that's the center of attention here but like i mean i think at a certain point this stuff when you get to a, this a certain point in playing pop music where it gets beyond whatever niche you started in, you do have to start serving a little bit more up for, yeah, like you mentioned, like young kids that are at the show, you know, <laughs> like it's not it's not for us anymore or whatever, you know. That's that's it. Well, I mean, I guess we'll have to see um, when uh, Green Day, Fallout Boy, and Weezer come here next year on that stadium tour. So. You, me, Stu, and whoever cares about Weezer can go and uh, compare notes. <laughs> well, I'm interested to see when stadium tours will occur. I'm interested to see if those existing stadium bookings are going to be viable. But, you know, 
with uh with crowds being allowed back into the football well before that probably meant to be. Might be hey, s- Corona's a myth. Yeah. Wait, what podcast is this? It's the, the Bill Gates Truther podcast. Um, in all right, I guess thinking thinking broadly about it, then is this is stuff like this now stuff that you still get excited to hear or is it only throwing back to a record like this one that you'll keep putting on uh you mean music that sounds like this yeah um not not really uh there's an english band called boston manor who kind of oh, they don't really sound like they don't sound like fallout boy at all like it's kind of post-punky but from warp to a kind of world, which doesn't really make sense, but it's good. Yeah. Sounds like dreary English stuff. Um, that's probably the closest in a while that I've come to like a newer band that I'm like, oh yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, like I don't care about the story so far or any of those like uh, pop punk bands from this millennium. I mean, this decade. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's it sorry i don't care just fall out boy only thanks <laughs> no i mean it's just in- i mean it's it's interesting for me with this because i mean maybe a band like fireworks but they've been defunct for a while because they were like yeah but they they were a different thing altogether they were they didn't they didn't have a marketing psychopath whiz kid guy in the band they were more about like an extremely bands band musician approach too uh and then they kind of turned into an indie pop kind of thing and that was just very interesting yeah uh, whereas yeah this is all that boys red cordial and drop d and fireworks <laughs> that's a good way to describe it um <clears throat> and if you were to now if someone was to now go to you like give me the fallout boy song to describe fallout boy what would it be um probably dance dance i guess okay because i mean because the thing that i question in my head is like obviously like i'm sure radio success wise there i'm sure rec- songs off their more recent records have probably done the best i suppose but like to me like i mean yeah like that thanks to the memories is just like that's that's what i associate this band with but again, I oh, don't, yeah, I'm, be, not a, I'm not a fan dance of the that song for sure. Right. Okay. That, that is unbelievable. And that song, there's like nothing to it, but then, yeah, unreal. Well, you know, so for any person listening to this podcast who somehow has never heard Fallout Boy, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the hot tip. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm doing all the wrap up parts of these podcasts talking about the things that the people who I'm talking to are doing. Um, what is Beowulf doing? Well, actually talk about uh, recording a toe-to-toe cover at your house. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, no one could do anything for a while. And so um, Beowulf decided that we would do some covers, or maybe I decided first I'd just do a toe-to-toe cover and the guys could play on it. And um, our bass player is a lazy man <laughs> and he decided that the drums that our drummer did weren't right so he refused to track bass on it mm-hmm. um 
and I knew that he was full of shit. So I just sent it to everyone's mate, Joel Attenborough. Yeah. And he was stoked and pumped out the bass in like a couple of days, if if that, amongst a busy schedule. And um, uh, Beer Wolf singer Pete was one of those people who got busier during uh, isolation with work. Mm-hmm. So he didn't get around to um, doing the vocals. So I was uh, driving home one day and I had the Shinfo Desmond podcast on mm-hmm. and um, uh, Jed and Peter Bordy were picking songs and Bordy's like, this is my favourite song. It's by Toe to Toe. And he said all the, like, he's like, I know all the words. And he like angrily recited them. And I was like, oh, shit. So I texted him straight away and was like, um, weirdly, I have this half-finished cover. Do you want to do the vocals? And he was like, oh, cool. Um, can I just record them on my phone? Uh, I was like, oh, sure, who cares? It's it's all uh, garage band stuff. So, yeah, I think he listened to the song like on headphones and just kind of yelled it into his phone on voice memo. And then he just sent me that. And he's like, here you go. Can-. And I, I'm... Bearing in mind, I've never mixed or recorded anything in my life. He's like, can you work with that? And I was like, well, I reckon you can have another go. It's pretty, some pretty loose takes there or like late lines. And he's like, no, nah, just cut it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I cut it up a few times and sent it to some people for feedback. And um, that was it. We, we did it. That is a very, it, it's like, I obviously love Pete. Pete, I hope, hope you're listening to this. Thank you for contributing to my life um but that is like a, a just a great peter body story i have to say like i i love i love the vision of him sitting in his room yelling into yelling toe-to-toe into his phone oh, yes. while his kids he was, try and he was sleep. like oh, i've got to got to go to sydney and do something else so can you see that and i was like okay pete <laughs> but um but yeah i mean it worked out and uh, yeah. forced me to google about 30 videos of how do you make vocals sit in a mix and i was like what the fuck does any of this mean but uh we got there in the end yeah well is there any future uh phone recording covers on the horizon here or is this just a single Um, one-off we did we did a saints song that i've forgotten the name of um we did blubber boy by regurgitator uh and none of them have been finished because the rest of beer wolf are lazy so (laughs) That's that's it. This is the public call out. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I've got nothing. Respond to emails. <laughs> they know if I can't if I can't get a rise out of them in a group text, I don't think a podcast will do anything. <laughs> oh well, we'll try again another day. Um, that's it. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me about Fallout Boy. Um, Thanks for listening to Fallout Boy. Uh, you know, actually. In in your defense and in this record's defense, I had no problem with listening to this record. I'm not going to bemoan it and act as if I, um, yes. I suffered Listen to it. that Carl Sanders sucked in. I uh, just did some work, wrote some notes, laughed a lot about remembering things that have happened at nightclubs. And, um, <laughs> you know, that was, yes. that was basically yeah, shout my... Shout out to your compressed disc. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you, boo. Um... All right, brutal. Well, thanks for talking to me. See you later.